0: Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Section 138. I'm your host Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good, Mark. We're in the dog days of spring training now. I think it's safe to say, but I'm doing good. Thanks. Yeah, we have to scrounge for topics to talk about because it's between the period of people reporting to camp and having a lot of news, and people actually being cut from camp and getting towards opening day, where we have news. But we're in that dull period, like you mentioned, in the middle. But Jacob how are you?
1: You know what I'm doing great and I'm I'm holding it together. We've got a couple games here and there that we can watch but you know knowing that spring training is almost over is just it's it's, it's a great time right now.
0: We're halfway there almost there and it was about a year ago yesterday as we record this that spring training was postponed indefinitely and um, of course a very different world we're living in today but it's been interesting to see comparisons between last spring and this spring but like i said we've scrounged for topics we're going to kick things off with um talking about the updates from spring training and things that have gone down in the week the week since we last recorded and then we'll bounce to a couple other topics that we have um and a mailbag from questions that listeners submitted but like i said starting things off with spring training um The first thing I want to talk about is Nate Pearson. I know we talked about him last week and his groin strain, um, but there's been some updates on that. Charlie Montoyo said uh, yesterday that uh, Nate Pearson will throw a bullpen today, Saturday, as he rebuilds after a groin strain, Um, and he said he won't have enough time to build up to five innings for opening day, but he wouldn't rule out carrying him even if he's only up to three frames. We've also heard from Charlie Montoyo that Ross Stripling is likely to get the the roster spot in place of Nate Pearson. Um, So what do you guys think of this? I mean, we knew he wouldn't be ready for opening day because he was injured. It's like he's starting from scratch now that he's throwing bullpens. Um, But what do you guys think of kind of using him as, I guess, an opener, right? Three innings to start the game. And then moving to the bullpen, is that something that you guys think is viable? Would you like the Blue Jays to just, you know, hold back, make sure he's totally healthy, totally ramped up before throwing him into the fire or are you okay with using him kind of to warm up the game before he gets fully um extended and can go 5-6 innings?
1: Well, in an ideal world, I think what you, the last thing you just said is probably what should happen. We should see Nate Pearson in more of a in a traditional starting role. However, I think the Blue Jays are going to go with an opener regardless of if it is Nate Pearson or, you know, Thomas Hatch or somebody else. And with with Nate Pearson, I don't think that he will be a traditional starter to start the season. In an ideal world, that's what he is. He's your, you know, number two, number three starter in the next couple seasons, but not this season, at least not to start. Um, I've heard a lot about Thomas Hatch as well. He's been doing well in spring training, trying to earn that last rotation spot or earn a rotation spot. So maybe if Pearson isn't your your solidified number two, number three, whatever the case is, starter, Thomas Hatch takes that, or Ross Stripling, and then whoever doesn't get it, you know, say that that guy and Pearson are kind of the openers. Maybe they're both listed as starters, but they they each do two or three innings, and I'm okay with that. I, to start the season, I would like to see Nate Pearson. Obviously, with, with the rotation struggles, there are a lot of question marks, you know, with, with what's going to happen. Although some are starting to get answered with, with spring training as it's going on. So with Nate Pearson, I, I want him to be a starter, go five, six plus innings every day. However, if all he's able to do is three innings, I'm okay with it. And we saw it at the end of last season and he was good. So it's allowing him to kind of ease into it, but still utilize his talents and let him gain more major league experience. If he's ready is something that I, I would be in favor of.
2: Yeah, I hate it. Uh, I don't like the opener. I never have liked the opener. And um, I just think if he's not ready, then he shouldn't be pitching two, three innings and then moving to the bullpen. I know it's something that they probably will do. I'm saying, you know, I, I do think it's likely it happens. I just personally hate the idea of the opener. I've said it many times. So that's why I've kind of mixed emotions on it. But for Nate Pearson you know i guess we we all had the feeling last week i guess and then a cu- couple days ago it was confirmed that it's likely that he won't be ready so unfortunately we were right about that one in that case which uh, sucked but anyways uh, it's just it's not a ideal situation for the rotation with the question mark it has but For someone like Ross Stripling, it makes sense for him to uh, be that guy to fill in for him. The Jays really like Ross Stripling. He can go between the bullpen, between the starting rotation. He's another guy that can be easily be an opener or come in after an opener. So he's got a lot of um, flexibility as well in terms of that. And somebody that the Jays traded for obviously last year during the trade deadline. But yeah, for Nate Pearson, we don't know too much other than he's going to start or he already has thrown long toss and he's going to be starting to do bullpen sessions shortly. But it's just that. Uh, you know for that unfortunately he just won't be ready he's going to be running out of time and they think we are almost in week three now of spring training so it's just getting to that point where um, we're getting to that point where you need to start stretching yourself out and yeah Thomas Hatch was the name you mentioned Jacob he's actually being stretched out uh, by the Blue Jays so he could be another possible option maybe at some point this year or who, who knows what else happens from here on out for the rest of the spring but for Nate Pearson I hope that well, it's just, it seems likely that he, if that's the case where he would start as an opener for three innings, then possibly move to the bullpen. I just uh, don't like the idea. But, you know, for him, I it's just, it's hard to say because of the minor league situation as well. You know, I, I know AAA's been delayed and I know AA's been delayed. So he's not exactly going to get a lot of game action, even if he's not on the roster on opening day. So it, from that kind of point, it kind of makes sense. But um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, with the starting rotation this year with the question mark, that your top prospect, who's expected to have a decent role, uh, likely won't be ready for his full capability. So hopefully he it's not too long before he's ready and uh, he can just pitch normally, but uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, I am expecting that to happen for him to, I guess, start as an opener, if that's the best course of action for him. But
0: um, yeah, I'm just not too fond of it. I'm surprised you hate it, Bryson. I thought we'd all be in, agree- in agreement that, I mean, obviously this isn't great, but it. Seems like a kind of necessary evil for the Blue Jays. Like, of course you want to get the most out of Nate Pearson as possible, but it, right now it seems like they don't have a choice. They have no one else to fill in the rotation. Like, maybe it's Ross Stripling, maybe it's someone like Anthony Kay, but they don't have a lot of great options, and Nate Pearson, I think, is probably the next best option, so you want to use him. Whether it's two innings, whether it's three innings, um, you want to use him even if he's not fully stretched out. So I think that's how I'm viewing this. It's it's not the best situation. Um you wish it was better. You wish the Blue Jays had that pitching depth that they didn't have to resort to using a guy like Nate Pearson for three innings. But they don't and this is the situation we find ourselves in and I think this is the next best thing that the Blue Jays can do. Um do you guys think that using Nate Pearson kind of as an opener could mess things up for him? Um I know we've seen You know, guys in the past with the Blue Jays who, you know, maybe they're bouncing between the starting rotation and the bullpen and their approach, um, you know, over multiple innings compared to one or two innings um, is very different. And they've struggled with that, um, I guess, kind of rebound and bouncing back and forth. Joe Biagini is a guy that comes to mind. Um, Do you think we could see the same type of thing with Nate Pearson? Is that a potential pitfall of this plan? Personally, I say no, because I mean, he's just going to be stretched out. So maybe he goes three innings the first time, four innings the second time, and then he's there after two starts. Uh, But it's certainly a possibility. It could happen. I don't think it will. Um, What do you guys think?
1: Well, I just want to put this out there. Nate Pearson is not the talent that you want to mess with. The Blue Jays have such high expectations, and really everybody does. So if if you do something, then it ends up in hindsight not working. I would be very, very disappointed. And in order to really combat that, I think the Blue Jays would have to be careful with their approach and potentially have him, like you said, Mark, not change his approach and say you're the the you're listed as a opener and you you fill that type of role where you you pitch two or three innings. However, you actually start the game so he can kind of uh, you know put himself in that position and still kind of work the way a starter would. If you want to have him follow up the opener, you know it's just it it might work. I I don't know, but I think with Nate Pearson consistency is going to be key. You got to get him stretched out. You got to get him ready for what his original plan was, which is to be a traditional starter. So, have him start the game, have him, you know, pitch two or three innings, and once he's ready, then you you go on and you pitch, you know, 3, 4, 5 and and really get what we've expected him to be.
2: I don't think so because well, first of all, we've seen Nate Pearson come out of the bullpen before, and that's why I'm not to um I wouldn't say it's going to mess him up, but I guess you can never rule anything out cuz everyone's different. Um, obviously but you know he came he started the year starting right and then he got injured and he really didn't pitch that much last year uh he was out for a decent amount of the year but when he came out of the bullpen he seemed fine he he seemed fine even in the playoffs as well he came out of the bullpen for the rest of the year ross atkins pretty much came out and said that there was just there was no time for or to stretch him out and um, unfortunately they just had to go with the, the route of the bullpen but yeah i mean i just i think it's a move that will happen mark and i think it's, it's something that they may have no choice but uh, but to do. I know they do have a lot of depth, but there's just a lot of uncertainty with some of these players. And, you, want, you, you know, in my opinion, I want to see these guys start off in the minor leagues and see what they have. You know, starting some of these guys off in terms of right away in the MLB, it's just, it's a risk. Like, it's a risk. You don't want to start off in April, you know, I would say sub 500 by a few games, right? You want to get off to a decent start around 500 and you don't want to fall apart early because there's just a lot of scenarios going on you know if you want to look at another team like the Yankees they're traditionally slow starters so maybe you want to kind of get ahead of them a little bit and then there's a few other teams where um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in in terms of the Tampa Bay Rays but uh, I, I agree with you on that point because some of these guys I want to see start in the minor leagues but for Nate Pearson um, if he's going to start as an opener and if he has the ability to do it he will do it I just I just hate it because I don't like the opener in terms of that, would in terms of the actual game, but if if it's the best course of action, he will be there. And um, yeah, I see it's I I do see it starting off where it goes uh, the first start goes three innings, four innings, five innings, maybe, and then after that, it'll get to a point where they say, okay, you're good to go, and then in terms of maybe a pitcher's limit throughout the year, something can happen there, like an innings limit. We've discussed that before. They're going to monitor his health. They're going to be extra cautious with Nate Pearson. And and Jacob, you said as well, you don't want to mess with him and you don't want any more injuries. You don't want to hurt the development. So I think they will be very cautious with him. So maybe an innings limit happens at some point later on in the year. But for now, I guess step one would be stretching him out. And then uh, once he's stretched out, let him pitch. And then I guess they're going to kind of reevaluate uh, after a certain point in time. But yeah, for it's just, you know, We we know the rotation and Nate Pearson. If he's going to be there, he will be there. But it's just unfortunate, right? He he has one start and or one brief start, and he strange is growing and right away. Like it just it it's already beginning. And the one thing you hate and the one thing we experience so many times, I guess, around the game itself. But Blue Jays fans too know from certain seasons, just the injury bug is it's very costly and it it sucks. It really does suck. So you don't want to see anything happen in the first week of spring training, but you know, you just hope that this can recover faster or sooner rather than later. And he can be out, um, pitching back to, I guess, his full capability by middle or to the end of April.
0: We talked last week about players who stood out to us. I know we mentioned some names like Robbie Ray, Francisco Liriano, guys like that. But one name we didn't mention who has been doing really well, at least this past week is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, Guerrero, 10 at-bats, 15 plate appearances He's batting 500. He has 5 hits, 1 home run, 5 RBI. He has an on-base percentage of 600, a slugging of 800, and then OPS of 1.4. This is a guy, like I said, we didn't mention last week, but I feel like we just have to mention it here and get it in. Because, you know, we've talked about his weight, we've talked about the changes that he's made this season, but we haven't talked about the actual results quote unquote results because it's spring training that he's putting out onto the field. And I think it's encouraging to see this. Um, I don't know how much there is to talk about here. It's spring training, small sample size, but it's been nice to see, you know, everything we've been hearing about Slim Vladdy actually be put onto the field in some respects um, with his results so far this spring.
1: The thing that I'm most important or most impressed about is the fact that Guerrero actually said he and, Ross Atkins both came out and said that one of the reasons why Guerrero was trying to lose weight was partially because of the field, but also he wanted to make himself better at the plate and not get tired towards the end of an at-bat, and obviously this is a very small sample size, you know, he's only had 15 plate appearances, that's, you know, that's not even a full week of a of a regular season, so it's, it's not a ton to work with, but it is promising, at least for now, and I'm definitely, I, I'm predicting a big season out of Guerrero, and I think that even though this is a small sample size, I think it is something that we can look at and say, hmm, maybe maybe this means something. Maybe he is actually going to be as good as we've expected. And yeah, I'm I'm just I I'm happy that Guerrero is finally starting to at least do what we've expected. Although again, spring training, we we do need to not necessarily take it with a grain of salt, but I think keep this in the back of our minds and say, Okay, well let's let's see where this goes.
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely great to see, and um, it's just there's been a lot of good signs that he's shown so far. He's been hitting a lot. <clears throat> his home run a few days ago was it was a it was, a, it, was a, it was crushed from what we saw. I know we didn't get the best angle because it wasn't televised, but it was um, it was a sweet swing. And from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., we've discussed it. This is we a lot of people think this is the year where if he doesn't break out or if he if if he doesn't break out, there's going to be a lot of questions. So this is going to be um, a big season for him. And as well, he's playing third base. He's getting more third base reps. So I'm not sure how well he's doing over there just because of the lack of um, opportunity we can see to, I guess, view it. But uh, I guess it's a good sign if he's getting a few games there. And it's just something that um, finally that we're trying to hope we'll hopefully see when April comes. And we need Vladimir Aguero Jr. to be that player that we've all ex- are been waiting for in terms of what we've seen in the minor leagues. And I think that there's definitely a chance that this happens this year. I mean, he's off to a great start, right? You, you don't know how much you want to take in or take out of a spring training um, or spring training stats. So, but either way, he's off to a really good start and you, you love to see it right away. So, you know, after an offseason where he lost weight or, and he was playing in the Winter League, he was doing a lot of things to improve his game and he's getting third base reps now. And who knows what or how many games he will get at third base. We see Lourdes Gurriel Jr. now taking reps at first base. The possible scenario where Vladimir Gurriel Jr. is at third base and then Gurriel is at first base, that's something interesting to see. Don't know how much you want to take out of that, but it's definitely a possibility. And it's just, you know, flexibility is what the, J- the Jays want around the infield. But I like how Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can go back and forth between third and first. And, of course, he can DH at times. But, yeah, uh, a great start for him. I just I don't know how much I want to take out of spring training. But either way, um, spring training or not, those are really impressive numbers and really um, high numbers to start it off. So it's really good to see. And you want him to perform that well alongside, you know, Bichette, Biggio, lots of the young pieces, Semyon in the infield. Um, and then, of course, Springer in the outfield. So lots of things to look at there, but, um, you know, we're about halfway through now. So, you know, let's see if he can hold on to that, maybe even put up better numbers. I highly doubt it, but uh, either way, hopefully he finishes off with a good month and um, he can show Blue Jays fans and show the world the the player that we he truly is and the player that we've truly been waiting for all these years.
0: Yeah, even if it means absolutely nothing, it's still more encouraging to have him be posting good numbers. Than it would be if he was posting bad numbers. Like, of course, it doesn't matter either way, because it's spring training and we can't really know until the regular season, but if you had to choose one way for it to be, this is definitely the way. Um, okay, let's move on to, like I said, one of our topics this week that we've kind of had to, you know, scrounge around for because there's not much to talk about. But the Blue Jays are going to be playing in Texas in the first week of the season. They're going to be playing the home opener of Globe Life Field in Texas, um, on April 5th against the Rangers. And it's expected to be the first full capacity crowd of any U.S.-based major sport, um, in more than a year since the start of the pandemic. Um, we obviously have thoughts about, uh, the safety of this, how wise it is to fully open a stadium. Yes, apparently masks are required, but it's still perhaps an interesting decision, um, I think it'll be cool to see lots of fans in the stands, but I can't help but be worried about the safety of it and how, in my mind, how stupid it is to open it in full capacity. I think what other stadiums are doing, like the New York Yankees and Yankee Stadium, you know, having 10,000 fans um, requiring a negative test within three days of going to the game, I think that's very wise. I think that's exactly what we need to be doing not opening at 100% capacity uh with only mass required when you're not eating or drinking. I think that's stupid. I don't know what you guys think. Again, only tangentially re- related to the Blue Jays, but for me it's a little bit concerning.
1: Well, see, as a sports fan that absolutely loves hearing loud crowds, it's going to be fun to watch, but I don't know how this is a thing like the pandemic is not over whether I want to pretend it is or, or whether I want to admit that it isn't over. So it's it's a questionable move at best or, you know, however you want to look at it. Um, the thing with the masks is pretty much it's always been this way with, with even restaurants and whatnot. Masks are required, except if you're eating. And I can guarantee you there are people that are not going to be wearing it, the mask at all or even correctly. We've seen a lot of people put it under their chin or wear it, you know, just above their lip. You know, it's, I I don't, I don't know how that you can even wear that and not realize how dumb that looks, uh, but yeah, so I just, I, I don't like the the whole idea of this, uh, and the Texas, I believe it was the, the mayor or the, the Rangers GM, somebody, Neil, I hope I pronounced this right, Neil Liebman said that he's confident this won't be a super spreader, and I mean, I'm no infectious disease expert, but I don't need a PhD to understand that combining 40,000 people in a, in a area is going to spread an airborne virus, so very, very confusing and whatnot. And also Ross Atkins is most likely going to be at the game. However, Mark Shapiro said he's very questioning or he's questioning whether he's going to go. So it proves that, you know, there are some different things going on in people's heads. It's just, it's not the right move, whether I want to watch a loud crowd or not. It's just this whole, this whole pandemic is not over and it's not going to go well. I'll just, I'll put it that way.
2: Get used to it. That's all I have to say. It's not going to stop, and it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger across all sports, across everything in terms of events or capacity in the United States. And, um, you know, I know, first of all, I know the vaccination rollout in the United States is going really well. I believe they're near 100 million people now, maybe just under, but they are getting close to that uh, century mark. So that's pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. But um, it's, it's interesting because, first of all, you see the typical... We start five percent, ten. We're gonna work our way back up. Uh, Texas pretty much went from I don't know limited to we're open. Everyone's coming, so it's just um, I'm not surprised. I really am. I was I was thinking about it a couple weeks ago, and um, you know I'm I'm even thinking about it in terms of indoor sports like hockey and basketball in indoor arenas. I think you're gonna see full full arenas as well by. Uh, the beginning of the summer when the playoffs start. I really do. And, um, you know, I I have a whole list of teams here that have recently, I guess, announced attendance. First of all, Vegas Golden Knights of the NHL just got clearance for half of um, an arena. That's pretty much the biggest capacity in in an arena we've seen. And uh, that's one. Uh, Camden Yards, Baltimore, now we're going back to baseball. They've been cleared for 42%. Coors Field's been cleared for 50%. And these um it's just what pretty much the common pattern you're seeing is they're gonna start off and work their way up. Uh Dallas isn't doing that. They're gonna or Texas, sorry. Texas is gonna go right to uh full capacity. And even even more um get you guys even more um <laughs> interested in this is that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL, came out and said September, full stadium, that's eighty thousand people. So they're they're going right back into it. And um You know, even it's just, it'll be cool to see. But first of all, for a team like the Jays, it's going to be weird because you're going from playing in a spring training park for your home site where you're allowing like a thousand people in to a brand new park in Dallas or yeah, Dallas, Texas, where it's going to be full capacity. And of course, it's it's kind of funny how the Jays end up being the first opponent there. I just find it weird of how they're going to be going from TD ballpark to whatever the heck the new stadium's called, The Barn, what it looks like from the outside. But it's a very nice stadium inside. And even in the World Series, there was a lot of people there. There was around, you know, I, I know I think it was around 25%, but I would be surprised if there was a little bit more than that. It seemed pretty packed as well during the World Series when they were uh, hosting it down in Texas. So it's just something that uh, I expected, and I think it's going to keep coming and coming. And I, you know, for an MLB stadium as well, there's a lot a lot of optimism from around the game. You know, There's people already talking I heard Jeff Passon talking on uh, one of the spring training broadcasts that they're thinking by the playoffs, every t- every single team's going to be able to have full capacity. So I know that's maybe a little bit more realistic. I don't know. It obviously depends on the vaccination rollout in the United States because they are in a good track right now. Canada, we're in a completely different scenario. I think step one for us is just allowing teams to come back here. I, I don't even want to worry about fans right now. I want teams to be able to safely come back here. Teams like the Jays, teams like the Toronto Raptors, uh, The NHL schedule playing properly, so you don't have to be seeing the same eight teams every game, which is interesting. I want that going back to normal before we even talk about fans. But the United States, it's just, um, I'm not surprised whatsoever. I'm really not. Even by this move by the Texas Rangers allowing full capacity, I'm not surprised one bit. And I think from around the game, it's only going to get higher and higher especially in indoor arenas as well around hockey and basketball that's going to be packed as well by the summer so not surprised whatsoever but it's going to be weird to see it's been over a year since we've seen a full i guess sold out event and um we've just been used to empty stadiums and i guess stadiums where you have five percent ten percent people there 25 percent. it all depends based on your state so um it's going to be interesting to see we've gotten to the point where we've been we've been used to no fans and now we've got to get used to fans being back so it's it's just going to be very odd, especially from a Blue Jays fan for all of us seeing TD Ballpark to that. It's I don't know what to expect. It's going to be really weird.
0: Yeah, let me say I'm not surprised that Texas is doing this. I mean, Texas a couple weeks ago said they would be rolling back their mask mandate that masks are no longer required anywhere. Um And 100% capacity for stores and stuff like that. So I'm not surprised by this. I think Texas is a whole other class. And if anyone's listening from Texas, I apologize. But I think it's a whole other class of stupidity in terms of their COVID-19 measures. But it's still concerning, right? I'm not surprised, but it's still concerning. And, you know, in September, October, like the postseason, even in July whatever like we don't know where we're going to be at that point maybe it's fine right joe biden is promising every american will be able to get the vaccine every american adult will be able to get the vaccine by the end of may right so maybe the problem solved by then maybe it's fine um but we're not there yet <laughs> we're, we're still in the start of april when this series is happening i think it's problematic when you still have a lot of you know healthcare workers, teachers, frontline workers who are not vaccinated when you still have a lot of problems with COVID-19, not just in Texas, but all around the U.S., all around the world, to say we're going to welcome back 100% capacity. I think, like you said, Jacob, there's no way this doesn't become a super spreader event. It's very concerning. Of course, it's better than it being an inside stadium, uh, an arena, like you said, Bryson, but it's concerning. I think it's very stupid.
2: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's just... Yeah, I don't really know what to expect. I mean, obviously it's not the smartest decision. You just figured a gradual increase from as low capacity would be the best course of action. I guess like the best course of action for everyone to take, but yeah. Um, you guys would you guys feel comfortable going right now to that or no? No, no. not both of I would you. Know not.
0: I would like I would go to a I'd go to TD Ballpark, yeah, not I would not go a, to TD Ballpark, you know, with like 15% capacity, but I
2: not I just, I don't,
0: yeah, like, the mask mandates, too, like, you, you're you going to be, you're
2: eating and drinking the entire game, there's no masks being worn, like, yeah. you're going to have, a, <laughs> Jacob, you said, it's just going to be on your chin, and I just, yeah, um, I, I'm curious to see, and hopefully not, fingers crossed, that there's just, isn't a big spread from that, but, and who knows how long it'll last, I guess it'll all depend afterward, but it's just, it is it is a massive risk, but, I, yeah, um, I I really don't know what to say because it's just, it's just really strange. I just, but I mean, it's strange because it's just so used to everything being a gradual increase. But from Texas, it's it's not right. So they're going full force at it. And then, uh, as I mentioned, football. They want to double that in September and hold a full uh, stadium for a football game. And Jerry Jones pretty much came out and said that they're going to do it safely. And I don't know. I don't think that's do possible but... right now. But uh, money talks, and uh, clearly the. Um, you know the owners want to get as much money as they can and we're going to take advantage of this from i guess the statewide laws in Texas right now so um yeah we'll see we'll see how many other teams follow suit in terms of how many full stadiums we'll see in 2021 i'm still not too optimistic it'll be a lot i think 2022 maybe more or the end of 2021 will be more of the period where you see that start piling up again but i would not be surprised by the summer there's a, a good chunk of stadiums being filled up again i'm just going to be curious to see which teams it'll be.
1: I'm actually really interested, interested to see how the masking uh, enforcement would actually work because obviously there's going to be people at the gate that says, Hey, you got to put it on. But once you get in, I mean, uh, there'll probably be employees and workers that say, you know, you got to keep it on. However, once you're in the stands, you're pretty much by yourself. I mean, you're around other people, but it's not like the, the workers that are just kind of going in between the, the seats, like they're in the, the, uh, the stairs, that are going to say, you know, keep that mask on. And even if they say it, say I didn't wear a mask, first of all, I would. But if I wasn't wearing a mask and the guy says, or or the person says, you know, Hey, you got to put that on. There's no guarantee that, you know, 90% of the other stadium or the rest of the stadium also doesn't have it on. And you can't enforce that for every single person. There's just the employee to, to fan ratio would just be way too high. And th- that is the biggest thing I'm concerned about. If you have literally everybody wearing a mask, Maybe I think people would, would think a little bit better about this, but knowing the way that, you know, the anti-maskers are are, are moving in bunches, I, I really don't expect this to to, to go as well as, as the Rangers expect it to.
0: Well, only time will tell. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed it. it I, I would love for it not to be an epic disaster, because if it is, we're talking about, you know, an outbreak, people dying. But... Anyways, um, let's turn now to changes in minor league baseball that were announced this week. Um, Major League Baseball announced that they're going to be instituting uh, a couple things over different minor league levels. I'll just run through them now because some of the ideas are pretty off the wall. In AAA, they're expanding the size of bases from 15 square inches to 18 square inches. In AA, they're limiting defensive positioning to quote-unquote, increase the batting average on balls in play. So basically limiting defensive shifts. In high A, they're instituting a step-off rule for pitchers. In low A, they're instituting robot umps and pick-off limits. Okay, so some of these rules we've heard about before, right? We've heard about the robot umps. We've heard about, you know, thoughts about, you know, limiting shifts and stuff. Some of this stuff is pretty off the wall, a pickoff rule. the amount of you know pickoff attempts, a step off rule um this is a little bit off the wall. the size of the bases. we haven't heard this stuff before, so I think it's I think it's really interesting you know i'm I'm okay with experimentation, right? I think some of it might be stupid on the face of it, right? You look at like three square inches per base. what's that gonna do? How is that actually gonna change the game? but who knows right? Maybe it helps things um I think. Bottom line, we know baseball has a problem in, you know, getting younger fans, expanding its fan base. And I think the only way you fix that problem is by experimenting. And I think some of these things can make the game more exciting. And I'm happy that baseball is at least willing to grow and learn and change things. Will these solutions work? Who knows? How will they change the game? Who knows? It's an experiment, right? That's why it's in the minor leagues. And uh, I think bottom line, it's good to see baseball, experimenting, continuing to look at these different things. And I'm excited to see whether these solutions work.
2: There's a few that uh, I look at, I'm like, I just shake my head at because I just don't like any of them. But then there's some where I'm like, okay, I will take the chance and I will um, let this experiment play out. So a few of them, first of all, the larger base role, I guess, you know, I never really thought of it because it's not really something that I guess, has really come up. It's more been about the pace of play in the robot umpires, like Mark, you were mentioning. So I'm open to seeing that, because if you want to reduce the amount of injury, we see all the time of cleats being spiked by other players running. You know, it's just, it, it, it could turn out to a disaster of injuries, right? So it's just, that's one thing where um, I will be open to seeing in terms of that, how much bigger the base is going to be, that I'm not aware of right now. Uh, the defensive shifts, yeah, I hate be, the shift. I it's gonna be so.
0: It's gonna be three square inches bigger. Right now it's 15 square inches. It's gonna be going to 18.
2: Yeah, so I I'll, I'll be open to that. I'll, I'll let that play out. Uh, shifts. I I hate the shift. I I hate the idea of four outfielders or whatever it is. I just I can't stand watching that. Um, I just I hate it. So <laughs> that's two things I hate in this uh, podcast so far. Going back to earlier on in the opener. I just I'm that I'm not um. Too fond of it all, so I like the idea of limiting the shift. I think the shift should be removed from the game. I just don't like it at all. I think it should be you should be playing at your natural position and let the actual game play out the way it's supposed to be playing out. And then the requiring pitchers to step off before throwing to a base, that one I don't see the point of that one at all. So I'm probably not too much in favor of it. I guess I'll be open to it though. And um, the robot umpires has been a talk for years, and I'm just used to that at this point, and um, I'm completely open to that as well. You know, obviously the human element's being taken out of the game a little bit, but the robot umpires are something that is just inevitable to take over, which is why uh, I've kind of um, accepted that. So those are my thoughts on it, but yeah, I've just, um, you know, a couple things there that I like, a couple that I don't like.
1: Yeah, most of these rules are kind of whatever. I mean, the defensive shift, I I don't mind it as much, I mean i'm okay with it to a degree i mean it's not like the obviously it it is kind of annoying when you see four outfielders and then you're pretty much guaranteed an out at that point no matter who's hitting uh, but the thing that i really really don't like is the the robot umpires because when it comes to having a robotic umpire to me this is from major league baseball's perspective this is trying to solve a problem by removing the human element and just making it a robot, I don't really see what they're trying to fix because then you have problems with the robotic umpires because say you have, you know, an outline of what the strike zone should be. Does the robotic umpire say, you know, for the borderline pitches, if there's a ball that's partially in the strike zone, it's now not a strike or if it is, it is a strike or, you know, how's that going to work? And I think obviously there are going to be bad calls with, with uh, human umpires, but I think there's going to be equal bad calls with the robotic umpire. And this just doesn't really solve a problem. And in fact, it might even create more solution or more problems because for anybody that's played uh, MLB the show, they kind of know what I'm talking about. If you look at when you're batting, you kind of have an outline of what the strike zone looks like and you can see where the pitches come to you. And if like, there's a pitch that's halfway within the strike zone, sometimes it's called a strike, sometimes it's not. And I think that we'll just see that same problem with robotic umpires, you know, is it, does it have to half of, does half of the ball have to cross that, you know, border? How does it go? And it's just, if the, I don't think that this is the necessary thing or the right thing. And and I like human umpires. Obviously there are bad calls that I don't like, but I would rather have a human determine whether it's a strike or a ball and not take that human element away from it rather than just say, oh, a computer said that that's a strike. Therefore it is because again, there could be wrong calls and, it's not going to solve the problem that I think Major League Baseball really wants it to solve.
2: First of all, I guess the, uh, well, the whole idea, right, is to take away the human, el- well, it's taken away the human element, right? But I guess if it's like partially on the zone, Jacob, I think it's going to be an automatic strike. Like it's going to be consistent, right? That's the idea. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of like um, either or type of what you would see with human uh, umpires. So, you know, there's people that don't like it. And I guess you're one of them, Jacob, that just don't want the human element being taken away. And there's a lot of um, debates about that as well in terms of other sports and this baseball as well With in terms of video replay. A lot of people think the same way that it's taking away the human element of the game. But there's also people that like robotic umpires and think that strikes should be called the way they're called and balls should be called the way they're called. So uh, there's, pr- there's pros and cons to each. It really comes down to opinion. And, um, you know, I would prefer, I think I would prefer, if I had to choose, I would prefer human umpires. Uh, first of all, I like when players argue with umpires too, so I don't want that being taken away. <laughs> and um, I just, I like the human element, but if robotic umpires are introduced, I'm completely on board and I completely will accept it. So I've come to the terms with that. And I hope that uh, eventually baseball can limit or take away the shift as well. I don't know how you guys feel about the shift. I was going to ask you guys how you felt about
0: that one. Yeah. Well, just before we leave the topic of the electronic strike zone, I agree that I like the human element of it. Nothing gets me more riled up watching a game than a bad strike call or players arguing a strike call. It just gets me riled up. And a little plug for our Patreon here, which if you join our Patreon, you can join our Patreon only discord and watch games with us during the season. But if you watch a game with me, you'll know that I get riled up by wrong strike calls and wrong ball calls. So I I think even though those calls can be infuriating, they are one of the most exciting parts of the game. Which sounds so weird, but it just gets me so riled up, and I think that's why it's fun. It's like, if you have an umpire, or if you have a computer making those calls, you're not going to get that same type of personality, that same type of excitement into the game. So, that's where I stand on it again, I'm willing to change. I know I was kind of a hardliner on no expanded postseason and then my mind completely flipped when I saw it in, in practice. So I think, it, you know, maybe the same sort of thing happens, but, and that's why we're experimenting, but that's where I stand right now on limiting the shift. I've heard conflicting things about this. I'm not sure I have an opinion about it. Um, I think the main question for me is how do you do it without actually limiting the game? Because there are, are defensive alignments you can do right if you're facing a hitter even without fancy data if you're facing a hitter of certain handiness you know they're going to pull the ball to some locations if maybe in their previous at bat they hit it up the middle maybe you shade up the middle if you're a second baseman there are things you can do that you just you just do instinctively as a baseball player so I'm wondering where you draw the line I know with the rules they're instituting now and the minors they're having it. So I think there's four infielders who have to have their feet on the, the infield dirt. Um, but how does that work if you're expecting a bunt play, right? Or or, or something like that. So I, I think, I'm again, I'm open to it. I'm just unsure about how they're going to enforce it, what the rules are for it.
1: Exactly. I think the one thing about baseball is, to me, it seems kind of like a chess match in the sense that you have, say you have a right-handed batter who hits well, or he hits inside pitches very well, and you have a left-handed pitcher that pitches primarily breaking pitches to the outside corner against righties, you know, that's already extreme matchups there, and then say that right-handed batter primarily hits over to third base, or you know, wherever the numbers are saying, so you put all your infielders there, and Taking that away, I think, would take away a, a bit of the strategy in baseball. Again, I'm I'm all for more entertaining games. And even as a baseball fan and, you know, maybe an irrational diehard fan at times, it can get extremely boring to watch, you know, two runs get scored by your team. I mean, even even though that can happen in other sports, I feel like with baseball, a lot of the value and, and a lot of the entertainment comes from winning and, and scoring runs. And so if you take that away, yes, I think it would... Or if you you do something to kind of add more runs, it would make the game a little bit more interesting, especially for even for the diehard fans that watch no matter what. However, I will be interested to see how managers and and people around the league really look into this and say, yeah, you know what, we like this or we don't like this. But I, I originally wanted to say I don't like this as an idea, but you know what, I think I'm going to change my mind and say, let's see what happens. You know, if it really does end up being a good thing that you know is entertaining to watch and doesn't you know completely ruin the game, then i'm all for it i mean it's easy to say i don't like it because it's not what what baseball's been so far and what i'm used to but i'll i'll let it see i'll I'll see what happens and and i'll make a judgment once i really see it put into practice jacob
2: i just want to ask you again there um did you say that you don't like low scoring games
1: i don't because like they're entered no sorry when i say low scoring games i mean primarily games that are are close to each other and if it's like are are not close to each other. So if you're winning, say, say you're winning like
0: wait, sorry, no,
1: what? Like if you're winning, so you
0: don't like close games.
1: Uh, let me let me <laughs> rephrase that. I don't like games that one team is scoring a ton of runs and another team is barely scoring, like five to one or something. Or is it's good That's if you're winning? No, I meant I meant to say uh, uh, a distance game where where it's like if you're scoring five runs and then you're you have extreme defensive shifts and only allow one run. Yeah, you won the game, but it's like it's not as entertaining. I do prefer when teams are scoring a lot more runs, and I just I like an entertaining game. I think that's really what I'm trying to get at. And if there are more runs being scored, and it's a, it's a game where it's not necessarily like okay, it's a it's a golf match where you know every so often someone does something and that's mildly entertaining, then it then I'm I'm willing to allow that that change to happen.
2: So you like low you like high scoring games better, right? Is that so? That's pretty much what you're saying.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
2: Okay, yeah. I don't know. I I I like low-scoring games. I really like pitcher's duels as well. Like I watch any game, but uh yeah, I don't
0: know. You have be confused there, Mark. You look a little confused as well. <laughs> well, I like I I like pitcher's duels, but I do I mean, high-scoring games. There's nothing that compares to them. Like I think about the, you know, the Blue Jays game against the Marlins this past year. That was what was it like, fourteen, eleven, and the Blue Jays were down eight-zero. They came back. The lead seesawed. They had the lead for a bit. They blew it in extras. Like that was insane. That was probably you know one of my top two games from 2020. The other being the game against the Yankees, where the Blue Jays blew out the Yankees and um, Danny Jansen had a grand slam again. High-scoring game. So, I think high-scoring games are the most exciting thing about baseball. I I just think baseball has to do something to make sure it's not all three true outcome at-bats. To make sure it's not all strikeout, walk, or home runs. Um, And I think, like, making changes to defensive alignment could accomplish that. Again, it just depends how they do it. I'm concerned about how they accomplish that rule. I'm happy to you know, adapt my thinking and and embrace restrictions on the shift. If it works and gets baseball exciting again, Um, not to say it's not exciting as is, but more exciting than it already is. Um, It just depends how they do it. So yes, I like high scoring games. I want more balls in play. I want more exciting plays like, I don't know, game four of the world series this year. Um, Like that sort of thing. We want more of that in the game. It's just a question of how you accomplish it. All right. We'll turn now to some of the mailbag questions we got from listeners. We asked you on all of our Instagrams. And if you were following us on Instagram and Twitter, again, I'll plug another thing mid-episode, at Section138Pod, you would have known that we're doing a mailbag episode and you could have submitted a question. But um, we got a handful of questions about the trade deadline from a number of people. So let's start things off there. A lot of people are wondering um, I guess what the Blue Jays are going to do, um, who we see the Blue Jays acquiring, and Jacob, you alluded to this at one point, but it's hard to predict the trade deadline. It's such a like I j- I know I've said this before, but I don't like predicting trades at all because it's such a an unpredictable thing. You don't know what teams know about players, you don't know how they value players, but I I still think we can generally nail down what the Blue Jays are going to do, and I think. Beyond all doubt, we know they're going to get a starting pitcher if they are getting someone at the trade deadline, which I think we all have expectations of them doing so. That's obviously where they need to improve this team. There's no doubt about that. We've already seen it with Nate Pearson being injured. So I think it's starting pitching is the number one thing they have to improve. We'll see you know, maybe there's an injury along the lines um, of infield outfield relief pitching that changes that dynamic and changes their priorities. But I think number one thing is starting pitching. And that's probably the only thing we can say for sure about the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, when it comes to the trade deadline, it's so hard to predict because we really don't know what's going to happen this season. And, you know, say the Blue Jays, all of the starting pitchers or all of the guys auditioning for a starting role end up, you know, killing it. And they're, they have one of the best rotations in the league. Obviously, I I love that, but well, you know, we'll have to see what happens. And I, th- but other than that, you know, it, there there's just so many questions and and there's so many things that we don't know how are how they're going to play out. And I think the safe bet is a starting pitcher, and I still stand by the fact that I think they need a starting pitcher. But it's hard to say that well, they're going to go get a reliever or they're going to get an infielder or you know whatever the case may be because right now I think the team is set primarily you know there could be injuries there could be you know underperformances there could be a million different things but we I think we really do need to wait and see what are the Blue Jays needs come the trade deadline to really determine what they should actually get but even before that I do think the starting rotation is the safest bet and it's the thing that the team really needs to work on improving
2: yeah the starting rotation at this point seems like almost a lock they're going to go out and get something and someone it's just a matter of time of when and how long in terms of I guess uh, until they maybe get desperate or they feel like they do need to make a, a move. But yeah, it just and when you look at the team on paper too, it's very hard to see like I really don't know like it, it is Jacob, I think you were spot on with it just on our chat a few days ago saying that it's just too hard to predict right now, but yeah, like it's the infield is pretty stacked in in terms of the the offense as well. like you don't like I don't really know where they need much improvements right now. Uh, on the field, but, um, like, I really don't know in terms of the infield. I think the safest bet would be definitely the rotation, maybe bullpen arms as well. I can see that happening in terms of, um, maybe the Jays going out and spending a little bit to get, uh, some relievers. And then I get, and then the other thing too, I guess would interest me is that we spoke about it last week. I asked you guys about the Randall Gritchick situation. Maybe he's involved in some sort of deal this year as well, in terms of maybe it's a a starting pitcher, uh, a, a reliever, a and maybe somebody that's a position player, but uh, yeah, it's those. I think it's safe to say that it will be a starter with that, that definitely first on the list. And then yeah, like somebody like Randall Grichuk, I wonder about as well to see if he's going to last the year or if he's going to be involved in some sort of package. But yeah, it's going to be starting pitchers or relievers as of now. Lots can change going up to I guess what June, July, even May if you want to talk about it. But you know, the, it, barring any injuries or any other things going on, just a lot can happen and uh, we'll see what happens from there. But yeah, from now on, the one thing entering the season in terms of the trade deadline is that it's definitely going to be a pitcher, regardless if it's a starter or a a reliever.
1: So another question that I got, and I've got actually gotten this quite a lot over the last couple of months, and even I've done a lot of thinking about it. And primarily what people want to know is who is going to be the Blue Jays leadoff hitter. And Last year, it was Kevin Biggio for the majority of the games, but with Houston, George Springer, who they recently acquired, was their their leadoff hitter, and I've seen a lot of people question, you know, which one of the two is going to be the, the definite leadoff hitter, and I do think there will be a definite one. I don't think they're going to split, uh, and personally, I'll just put this out there. When you look at their stats, both of them are kind of the stereotypical leadoff hitter. You know, they get on base, they're going to play most of the games, and they're reliable. However, the thing that really differs between Biggio and Springer is the fact that Springer hits a lot more home runs than Biggio does. And in 2020, Biggio hit eight home runs, whereas Springer hit 14, which, you know, is close to double that. And even throughout Springer's career, he's constantly been hitting 20 plus, 30 plus home runs. And I think because of that, Springer will be the number two hitter because When you look at Biggio, I'd rather the guy that gets on base and, you know, he moves around the base. I think Biggio also led the team in in stolen bases with 16, I believe, or something around that number in 2020. So you have a guy that gets on base and moves around the bases. And then after that, you have a guy that can hit for more power. And I think that's probably the best way for the Blue Jays to handle it. I don't know if you guys have a difference of opinion, but I do think that it will be Biggio. And I think that's probably the best option for the Blue Jays.
2: Yeah, um, there's... Definitely a possibility that uh, Kevin Biggio is that leadoff guy. But yeah, I I think George Springer is a leadoff guy. Uh, I think he was brought over here to lead off. I think he wants to lead off. And I think that's the best course of action for the lineup is if he leads off. And for someone like Kevin Biggio as well, with his high on base percentage, because um, Jacob, you mentioned how he gets on base a lot. His career on base percentage for after two years is 368. So, um, it's very high. And that's the one thing that's kept his OPS up ever since he's, um, he's come to the major leagues is he gets on base, uh, regardless of a low batting average or maybe a lower slugging percentage. But, you know, the one thing too, if you want, you want to, maybe, you know, I've thought about it too, is that maybe he hits lower, even lower in the lineup because of how much he gets on base in terms of turning over the lineup and getting on base, um, I, I guess that's a chance. I mean, I've mean, i usually always have penciled him in around the middle of the order, around six. But, you know, there's conversation maybe even seven, eight, nine, even higher. But, you know, I, I, I see him being in the middle of the line of Kevin Bijou. I see uh, Semyon Bichette, Guerrero, Teoscar, all those guys above him. And um, I see Bijou somewhere in the middle of the lineup. But I, I do think there'll be times maybe where... Springer, or sorry, Biggio does lead off. I don't know how much, but I think George Springer is uh, here to be the leadoff guy. And I just, I, I feel like that's the best role from on this team. But uh, for Kevin Biggio, he gets on base as well. And I've always thought even lower in the lineup maybe helps because for someone like George Springer, who's coming up on base when the lineup's going to turn over, Kevin Biggio getting on base or setting something up would be very. Uh, dangerous for this lineup but yeah I've never um, thought about it I guess you know I I have thought about Bijou in the leadoff spot but I haven't really got or given it a lot of attention just because I've always been focused on Springer being the leadoff guy so maybe Mark you have a difference of an opinion and agree with Jacob as well but I've always thought Springer was coming over here to be uh, the leadoff guy
0: I gotta be completely honest I don't care (laughs) (laughs) like I just don't care who's leading off and frankly I don't think it's going to be one guy I mean, I'm pretty sure in 2020 we did not see the Blue Jays roll out the same lineup and same defensive alignments a single time over 60 games. I don't think anything is changing this year. I think we're going to have a very fluid lineup, very different approach day in and day out, and I think it's going to change. Um, obviously, I think they will lean to one guy over the other, and you know who knows who that ends up being. I mean, Kevin Biggio does have a higher Career on base percentage than George Springer. Biggio's at 368. Springer's at 361. But Springer is, of course, a better overall hitter. Springer has an OPS plus of 131 over his career. Biggio only 116. So like there there are clear differences between the players. I think if you're just looking for the best overall hitter to lead things off, it's Springer. And maybe that's a way to do it because, you know, you have so many other good players down the line. Springer, Simeon, Bachet, Guerrero, Guriel, and then Biggio, of course. Maybe you just want to have Springer up there in the leadoff spot to get him out of the way in some sense, to have him up there, put his talents to use. But again, I don't think it matters. I don't care what they go with. I think there's a little bit of an overemphasis on the lineup, on who's starting out. And I really don't think it matters. I think it's going to change day in and day out. I think no matter whether Biggio is hitting first or ninth, whether Springer is hitting first or ninth, I I think the Blue Jays are going to be successful offensively. So I really don't think it matters. And I don't think this is, you know, all that important of a conversation that fans should be focusing on. Um, I just, I don't know. It, it's not something that I think is incredibly important for the Blue Jays. I think they're going to figure it out and go with uh, a little bit of a flexible solution.
2: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I've always been intrigued with the leadoff hitter. Like even going back a couple of years, you know, for the past couple years as well, like the Jays haven't had that leadoff guy. So, you know, it's been it's been a lot of names coming in and out of the, uh, the lineup last year. Bejo was up there. Bichette leaded off a few games. And uh, I thought Bichette was really good as well when he led off. So, you know, I, there's been a few others that have have let off and they've done well, but, you know, I, I don't like I'm fine with either way as well, Mark, but I just um, I've always paid attention to the leadoff hitter and I've always kind of been interested to see how the lineup's going to pan out, which is why it interests me and which is why I do like somewhat care. But yeah, um, either way, I'm good with either because the, the lineup is going to be the strong, strong suit of this team. And, um, you know, throughout the lineup, there's a lot of, lot of good players. And, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going to be hitting third, fourth, maybe. Teoscar Gurriel going to be up there. So it's it's going to be um, exciting just to see where that happens. And, it, they're, you know, based on what we know from the rotation right now, we're expecting a lot of high-scoring games. So, Jacob, that's for you. And, um, you know, it just there'll be a lot of highly offensive games. I mean, that's what we think, right? So... We'll see, but um, it's going to be either way. Even if it's not high-scoring for the other team, the Jays are going to be putting up a lot of runs themselves. So I do expect uh, a good offensive season from them, and especially with them starting in Dunedin. that um, In TD Ballpark, it's a, obviously a hitter's-friendly ballpark, so that's going to be interesting to see. And then if they go down to Buffalo as well, that'll be a um, hitter's-friendly. Roger Center, if they come back, hitter's-friendly. So either way, it's going to be um, a highly offensive season for them, and uh, it's going to be exciting. That's going to be an exciting lineup to watch for the next couple years.
1: Yeah, I think regardless of where Springer or where Biggio or wherever who plays, I think the 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 lineup that the Blue Jays have and that they're going to pencil in every day is going to be extremely good. Uh, I don't know. I think growing up when I when I was you know watching the the earlier era of Blue Jays, you know, when you got when you had guys like Jose Reyes and and Josh Donaldson, Jose Bautista, all those guys. Oftentimes, I remember seeing a guy like Reyes who wasn't really a power hitter, but he was a guy that would always get on base, and then you had the the big power hitters after him, you know, driving him home, and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily fixated on that, but I think there is a lot of value in not necessarily putting a power hitter at the number one spot, just because, you know, obviously if Springer is number one and he hits a leadoff home run, that's, you know, I'm not complaining about that, but I think if you're able to kind of maximize his RBIs and his run potential, I think the best option is to kind of put him after guys that don't necessarily get home runs or hit home runs, but they're guys that Get on base and really set the table for, for another power hitter like Springer and all the other power hitters that the Blue Jays have.
2: Yeah, so I have one more question for you guys, and um, I know Mark. I saw you put a poll up on your story yesterday. Did Lord Gurriel Jr. make that catch yesterday?
1: I think he caught it, Jacob. He one hundred percent made that catch. I, I don't. He he one hundred percent did. It's not even a question. I mean, I don't like. I could see
2: it both ways, but. I don't think he did either. Like I, I, he looked like he made the catch even after he caught it. A lot of people were like making or pointing out that he barely ran to the ball, but a lot of people failed to acknowledge that he was trying to signal to the umpires that he caught it. But um, yeah, either way, I think he did catch it. But um, at least it was spring training, so I just it, it was definitely an interesting debate. Though a lot of people were um, on the fence about both, so I, I found that interesting for a spring training game. But uh, yeah, like he. It just, it didn't look very good on TV, but, um, you know, I, I think he did make the catch, but at least it's spring training for that to happen too. So
0: it, it it's like, is the dress blue and black or yellow and white? It's like the same type of thing. People are split on it in my, on my Instagram poll, which of course was not very fair because I told people to vote yes, because that was the right answer in my opinion. But I got 714 votes for yes and 71 votes for no. So it was pretty definitive, I think, but I I think he caught it. Like, obviously, it didn't look good. Like, it's a spring training game, but it wasn't pretty. It was an inside-the-park home run for the Pirates because Guriel just didn't chase after the ball after he dropped it, even though it should have been called an out, in my opinion. But, yeah, it it was a catch, I think.
1: I saw somebody comment on social media, and I don't know if they were trolling or if this was – a legitimate opinion but somebody said that they literally they they said i quote this guy ain't making the opening day roster
0: oh my god referring
1: to guriel so it's that's a joke i really hope they're trolling because he doesn't watch the
0: blue jays a lot
1: exactly this guy lord i will literally bet my entire net worth that lordis guriel jr is making the opening day roster barring any injuries
0: well i don't know how much that bet is worth but okay okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's end it there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, as always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Section138Pod. You can support our Patreon, patreon.com Section138Pod. We appreciate you listening, even if we don't have much to talk about. And hopefully next week, as we gear up for opening day, we can get back to lots of good stuff to talk about. So... We'll catch you then.